Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, today's episode of the A-Game Podcast is brought to you by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD, Navy SEAL owned by William Brannan. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links and click on the code for discounted CBD. Anything you get on that site from shirts to topicals to immune defense to greens to gummies to drops, anything pure CBD related, high quality, not that gas station crap. No THC, so it will not get you high. It will just help you with sleep, anxiety, inflammation, and all sorts of wonderful things that CBD has helped me with over the last few years. Uh, when you take consistently and you check out on that site, if you put in promo code AGAME, you will get 20% off. Do something good for a Navy SEAL. Do something good for your body. And uh, shout out to William Brandon, hailing out of Hawaii, sponsoring the show. It's a great quality product. Take it consistently for 30 to 60 days. You will feel a big difference in your body. Also today... If you want to go on that same link, Nick, uh, same site, nickandnick.com slash links, you can click on Get Your Real Estate Deals Funded. If you click on that, it will take you to Nationwide Business Capital Group, and you will be directly linked up to Marianne, who is, again, another sponsor of the show. Um, she's able to do loans that most people are not able to do. So whether you have some credit challenges or you are a beginner, in intermediate, advanced, you're looking for fix and flips, commercial, refis, uh, buy and holds, whatever it is. Um, Marianne will be able to help you get that going one way or another. So check her out. Tell her the A-Game Podcast sent you over there and get that going. And last but certainly not least, if you go on nicknick.com, you can get our free ebook, What Every Investor Needs to Know in the Real Estate Market About How the COVID and Pandemic Has Affected Real Estate. It's a quick, easy ebook. You get it free on the site. If you go on Amazon, it's going to cost you a couple bucks. But go on nicknick.com, get our free audio book. I'm sorry, free ebook. Uh, you'll see a lot of great information there. It's a nice, quick read to give you an overview. And then let's talk about getting you into some deals. It's the beginning of 2021. Let's get you into some real estate. You can find me nicknick.com slash links for all my social media, for my email contact. And you can find me to figure out how do we want to start to move forward on getting you into some fix and flips, getting to you some buy and holds, partnering up on some deals, whether you want to buy properties from me, sell properties to me, partner up on properties, talk about just the general real estate discussion, or you don't even know where you fit in. Let's get on. Let's start to make this a reality for you. Nick, Nick, Nick.com slash links. Contact me and get this going today. My guest today in the A-Game podcast is James Burt. You guys are going to love this. He is a powerhouse in England, powerhouse in the branding, powerhouse in the podcast circuit. Really fun guy to talk to. We talked for a while before the start of recording. Um, I really very much enjoyed talking to him. Um, his downloads are extremely impressive. His clients' downloads are extremely impressive. Um, just a good guy, fun guy, awesome interview, very knowledgeable. I'd love to have him on again and talk to him more. Hope you guys enjoy it. Check out James Burt on the A-Game podcast today. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is the host of the Building the Brand Podcast. He is the founder of the Ultimate Podcast Group, the Ultimate Podcast Agency, 
and has over 90% of their clients in at least the top 50 on iTunes. He is a brand performance expert. He works with influencers, actors, athletes, and entrepreneurs, a media trainer, international keynote speaker. He's interviewed such big names as Les Brown and Grant Cardone and has worked with some of the biggest companies out there for branding, including BMW, Xbox, and more. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast, Mr. James Burt. Thank you very much, my friend. I'll tell you what, I've had that intro so many times, but it just sounds cooler with an American accent. I don't know why. It just I just feel like a legend right now. Thank you. I might just, just record that and just have that as my like hype-up thing that I listen to in the morning. We'll reverse it because mine will sound classier if you say it too. So <laughs> man, I appreciate it. we've been uh, we've been kind of connecting on uh, on Instagram and on social media, and I've been through some of your podcast course stuff. So it was really cool of you to jump on. I know you're calling from London. We were just doing some talking before we got on there but for people who aren't familiar with you yet you have a pretty extensive background prior to really focusing in on podcasting um give the audience a little bit of a quick 36 30 uh, 30 foot view of you so i uh, i started out in broadcast in 2006 so 14 years ago now and i sort of accidentally stumbled into it but prior to that i've been a cabaret singer so i was a, I was a michael buble tribute act ironically um yeah it was bizarre uh, but then i sort of done the, the band thing and the touring thing i've done like x factor and like tv talent shows and stuff and was never talented enough to to get anywhere near the actual tv and i was like do you know what i'm not going to be um the next michael buble so i might as well get a proper job so i ended up in broadcast pr and, and as i say i didn't really know what broadcast pr was i thought i was going to get on the radio I, I was like innocently ignorant. Uh, it turns out it wasn't that at all. It was helping brands and businesses to get them on the radio. That was what ended up being the job. But because I was um, naive to it and because I was always very enthusiastic and energetic, my sort of enthusiasm was infectious and it just allow allowed me to sort of like climb the ranks within this weird organization. So I ended up, like you, you mentioned, working with BMW, uh, PG Tips, Xbox, all the big banks. And I was very much, you know, that whole sort of idea of being the dumbest person in the room. Like that was definitely me for a very long time. <laughs> Hugely underqualified to be in these rooms, having these conversations. But, you know, when BMW re released like new brake technology, I would be the guy that would get them on the radio to talk about it. So I sort of inadvertently learned the art of crafting powerful stories to make audiences engage with your content, you know, in 2006 before content marketing and you know documenting the process and all that kind of stuff was cool so that was that was my background i then worked in uh music for record labels i worked with some of the sort of the top independent record labels across europe and i went into real estate for a little while um and then i inadvertently in 2017 a mate of mine said hey you keep talking about how much you like podcasts why don't you do one you've got this broadcast experience you've been on the radio i used to be on, on national radio station in the uk why don't you do a podcast um, so I did. And the day that I launched, Tim Ferriss was number one. I was number two and Gary Vee was number three. And I was like, oh, well, that worked quite well. And then people were just like, how did you do that? And I was like, oh, I'm not really sure. So I followed John Lee Dumas, who's got a mega show called Entrepreneur on Fire. I, I listened to his podcast called How to Launch a Podcast Podcast. And I was like, oh, OK. So I took on the sort of the, the methodology that he was preaching. Then I added on the sort of 14 years worth of brand and marketing experience. And I worked out a, a really good systemized process and, and fast forward three or four years i've now worked with 120 i've launched 128 podcasts no one in europe's launched more podcasts than i have and as you mentioned before 85 to 90 percent of the clients i work with end up in the itunes top charts i've had millions of downloads created multiple six and seven figure businesses off the back of it and it's um yeah that's kind of me in a in a nutshell really 
That's awesome, and that's impressive. And he did a lot of different things. I, I didn't know about the music thing. That that's pretty cool. That explains that explains the personality. Sometimes when people are uh, you know on that side of stuff, they're a little bit more dry. But you got a great personality. So the musician part of it definitely explains it. It's not a normal personality for a marketing guy. Um, so I appreciate that. There's a bunch of different things I want to touch on that you said. The first one, obviously, um, marketing, which uh, again I think is just such a huge piece for basically anybody, any business that you get into. You know. Sales and marketing, regardless of, of what you like or you don't like or how you label yourself, is an integral part of becoming successful with it. So that background, I feel more and more this year has been coming up and coming up with people trying to figure out how to build their brand, how to, how to market themselves. And there's just so much crap out there and so much misinformation. And one of the things I heard you say that I thought was such a strong foundation was that people forget the basics. Everybody's out there focusing on themselves and showing, look how great I am, look how great I am. And you had mentioned, you, you got to bring it back to, it's all about the customer. It's about giving them pleasure and curing their pain. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your, your thoughts on that as far as the, the basics and the fundamentals of marketing and where it's gone as to where it should be because social media has kind of knocked it into a completely different thing with Lamborghinis and you know private jets that I don't think people relate to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's weird. Cause when I started off in 2006, and when I say that, I can't believe that it's 14 years because I'm like intensely immature. I've got two children and a wife and a house and mortgages, and I should be a grown up, and I'm just not. I still feel like a child. Um, when I think about, you know, I started out 14 years ago, it staggers me to even say that. But when I did start out, you know, branding and marketing wasn't the cool thing that it is now. You know, I was a marketeer before marketing was popular. I was in branding and PR before branding and PR is popular. Social media has meant that all of us, every single person who posts on a social media channel is now consciously or subconsciously creating a brand. And if you just listen to that statement and you're like, this guy's talking shit, I'm not creating a brand. You are, you just don't know about it. Every time you post on social media, that says something about who you are and what you're all about. That's your brand. This is the thing, right? And I'm going to give you the only definition of brand or branding that you will ever need to understand. Because again, there's so much horseshit out there at the moment. There's like, oh, it's this, that, and the other. It's really complicated. Here's the thing. Your brand is your reputation. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. Your brand is your reputation. So you need to start with that foundation of understanding that. What do you want people to say about you behind your back when you're not in the room? That's your brand. So people think that, you know, Coca-Cola, for example, I think of Coca-Cola and I think of the best ice cold drink to have on a hot summer's day. That's what the brand represents to me. Equally, if you're diabetic, Coca-Cola represents, you know, a half gallon of sugary death in a bottle. You know, that's what the brand represents to you. So what the brand means to me and what it means to you could be something completely different. Neither of us are right or wrong. The brand only exists in the mind of the consumer, which sounds well wafty. And they're like, huh? How, what do you mean? So, but you, you can't control the brand because it exists in the mind of the consumer. But you can curate the message. But you've got to really understand what are your core values? What's your USP? What's your mission statement? What are you marketing yourself for? Because that's the other thing that I see. So many people out there, you know, they've got Instagram accounts and you know, they're following themselves around on stories. I'm like, what, what's the end game here? What are you trying to do? I'm an IPQA qualified performance coach. And what they taught us on the day one of that coaching course that I ever did in the sort of the coaching space, they talked about outcome thinking. They said, to be a great coach, you need to be able to get your client to as often as possible, come back to what is the outcome that we are trying to derive here? What are we trying to work towards? What are we getting towards? And I think that's what a lot of marketing people and branding people misunderstand. They are making themselves famous almost for the sake of it. But I always think, you know, what's the outcome that you're trying to 
create and curate. I've spoken to, um, I did a session with a, with a lady this morning, really, really knowledge, knowledgeable lady. And she told me all of this stuff about, you know, what she wants to represent in the marketplace and how she wants to be different and stand out, blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, can I just take you through your, your website? She went, yeah, of course. And I just ripped it into pieces, not to be <laughs> cruel, but to make it, and I said, do you mind if I'm, like, how honest would you like me to be? Would you like me to be like friendly honest or do you want me to be like savage honest? She went, no, no, be savage. So it's like, right, game on, let's do it. And I just ripped it apart. I said, look, you want you say that you want to represent all these things. You've got these mission statements. You've got your brand, your USPs. I said, no, it's apparent here. I said, it's proper vanilla. You sound like everybody else in your marketplace. You've got a real genuine USP, but you're not communicating it. So yeah, but equally, I'm not one of these people who just hates everybody who's on social media. I love the fact that entrepreneurialism is popular now. I love the fact that people like Grant Cardone is making real estate, um, you know, sort of fashionable. I love the fact that Gary Vee is making everyone walk around with, a, you know, on selfie mode with their cameras. I think it's great because people are ultimately, they're trying to be, do and have more in their life. And that should only be applauded. You know, it's the people who go home from a job that they hate, do nothing apart from moan and make their family miserable about how miserable they are in their lives and sit down and watch the, the basketball game instead of jumping onto an Udemy course or onto a webinar or listening to a podcast. Those are the people that you should sort of berate. Not you should berate anybody. We were talking about this before. You know, there's so much divisiveness out there anyway. But ultimately, anyone who's trying to be doing have more should be applauded. But you've got to get it right. Because as I say, every single time you post on Insta, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, you are creating a tiny piece of what your brand represents. I think that that's awesome. You know, you, you touched on something there that I think is great. Two things, actually. One of them, I'm a huge believer in, in trying to help and push and support anybody who's trying to get more out of life and is willing to take the steps. So I'm a big believer. You know, it's like, it's like making fun of the person who's overweight when they're at the gym. It's like, what do you want from them? They're on the treadmill. Yeah, they're yeah. making a change. Like they're doing the things. They're not in a drive-thru. Um, so I believe the same thing, but I never really thought of it with the people that are on social media that they're, they don't understand that they're building a brand and they might not even really know what they want, but they know that they're trying to get some sort of attention to do something to get more out of life. And I, that was, I'm, I'm literally going to look at people doing that differently now after you said that. So I do appreciate you putting that there, but people are copying what they're seeing. So another thing I've heard you say a lot of is you have to stand out or basically you're, you're going to die. And I feel like the way that people think that they should be standing out is fancy cars, over-the-top stuff. Everybody rents out a Lamborghini or a mansion and has somebody film them walking through. And that was the old version of standing out. And I feel like yeah. standing out now in that sense is actually fitting in with everything everybody else is doing. It's almost become a joke, like when somebody who actually knows successful people, that they'll post good videos with good content and somebody be like, where's your Lambo, bro? And it's like, oh man, people aren't really doing that. So what is your advice for somebody who is trying to start out or get some sort of brand out there that's looking at these big over-the-top Grant Cardone types of things and saying, well, that's what I have to do to stand out or to look successful? Uh, the, the main thing that you've got to understand is in this day and age of 24-7 accessibility 365, if you are not yourself, you are going to get caught out. And people buy from people. They have to buy into you before they will buy from you. If you're trying to be something that you're not, you're going to get found out. Don't get me wrong. There's a couple of examples where you might get away with it. Ty Lopez. What I, I don't know what the fuck that guy does, but he seems to do it quite well. He's got loads of nice cars. He reads a, a thousand books a day. Fair enough. Whatever. Cool. Good on him. But for every Ty Lopez, you've got a million Ty Lopez wannabes that will never, ever reach that level of success. But they're trying to emulate something that they're not. 
there's a famous saying from, I think it's Oscar Wilde, be yourself because everybody else is taken. And again, it's one of those like Google quotes and lots of people are putting it on like, a shit sunset background, like post on Instagram. <laughs> hey, here's some wisdom that I've got. Like, okay, yeah, sure. But it's, but it's absolutely correct. You've got to be yourself. You've got to, congruency has never been more important. What you say and what you do has got to line up. And this is again, where I love the sort of, um, I, I know Grant Cardone personally. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Grant is the message he preaches. The person that you see on social media, that is Grant. He does not give a fuck about your opinion of him. He don't care. He don't care if he upsets investors. He don't care who he upsets or offends. He is, he is the message that he preaches all day, every day, which is fine because it's him and it's congruent. And because he's got to the top of the, the pile, now everyone thinks, well, actually, if I've got to be successful in real estate, I've got to do that. If I've got, I've got to be successful, I've got to be flashy. I've got a mate of mine super successful venture capitalist he phoned me the other day i was like what i was like what car are you in it sounds incredible it's like i've got a bent this bentley continental he never posts about it because he doesn't have to because that's not congruent with his values he had three mclaren f1s in the driveway and he's like i just don't need him do i, I said i'm going to get myself a van and travel around europe and i'm like okay <laughs> cool but he doesn't need to because that's not the person that he is so rule number one be yourself be congruently yourself don't try and emulate people that you think that don't try and be something you're not because you think that other people want you to be it. Because ultimately in that situation, you will come unstuck. I, I very nearly did it a couple of years ago. I was involved in a business. was very successful. Went from a standing start to seven figures in 18 months. None of us knew our ass from our elbow. We were, none of us had any business acumen. And I've, I managed to keep an element of myself in that business there was a lot of bullshit and bluster and bravado and i was lucky that because i'm quite a strong personality i came out of it all right other people who've been around people that they try and be like or they emulate their coach or their mentor too heavily if that coach or mentor leaves then all of a sudden you've got to stand for those things that you said you stood for but you didn't never really stood for them in the first place so for example like one of the things that uh, i see a lot of people doing you know they talk about um, fitness and health and like that's the way that you link mindset and motivation and health and fitness and all-round well-being but they don't know that they don't know the first thing about fitness so don't talk don't preach a message you don't understand don't try to be something that you're not because again if you walk away from the people who you're around then all of a sudden you don't really know what you stand for and that's where you come unstuck so yeah my, my, my main thing would be understand who you are and what you actually represent and then only be and be those things. And, and you will naturally magnetize the right tribe to you. Some people love brash. They love the cars. Don't get me wrong. I've done it. I've got two nice cars sat outside the front of my house. I've got a nice house. I've taken photos of it on social media. I've used it as a tool to raise awareness. Um, you know, am I as flashing out? No, because it feels a little bit crass to me, but ultimately it's a tactic that I deployed as a marketer because I understood what I was doing. I love it, man. Yeah, and I think you're hundred percent right. It's, it's almost it reminds me almost of the UFC that there's the Conor McGregor's and the Chael Sonnens that they use the shit talking and the insult and the loud yeah. personality and it works for them. But now you see other guys come out and they try and do the same thing and they're coming out with the girls and they're insulting. You got like the Colby Covingtons, and it just doesn't look sincere. It's horrible, it isn't work. it? Yeah, yeah it's horrible. Like you said, like that's not you. You can tell that that, and it becomes cringy when it's like, man, why are you forcing that? But the same thing on social media, you know, you got like like Raphael Vargas, like it works for him. You know, the crazy clothes, the flashy stuff, the sunglasses, the expensive cars. He's built a brand on it, but that's him. You know, I've seen him in real life a bunch of times, and we've talked. And anytime I've seen him anywhere, he looks the same, he acts the same. That that's him. So it works for him. People identify with that. So I think that's that's it. you've got you've got to be real, and that's this is one of the things I'm most sort of uh, pleased about with Gary Vee. Everyone's sort of like. Everyone loves Gary Vee 
And, but then there's it's sort of getting to this tipping point because he's almost so popular now. People love to put people on a pedestal, then they like to knock them down again, don't they? I don't know why <laughs> that is human nature. But Gary V is now talking about patience, mindfulness, empathy, and consistency. And I think that's a really, really important thing because you do, because you have to understand fundamentally who you are to have any level of success. Because again, success is like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. What I perceive to be successful is not the same as what you perceive to be successful. You know, for, for you to be successful, you know, a successful morning for you is probably going to a jujitsu gym and rolling around. That is literally my idea of fucking hell. So <laughs> I don't want to try and aspire because I get battered. I don't want to aspire to have the, you know, the level of success or to get the success the way that you've got it because I'm not you and you're not me. So people have got to understand, people haven't got to understand anything. You're just a free world. You can do what the fuck you like. But I would suggest that people work out what it is they actually stand for. What do they stand against? Who do they want to be? Who do they want to resonate with? And then build your values, your USPs, your mission statement. I do this all the time with clients. Build it off the foundation of actually understanding who you are. I love that. Now, as far as who you are, I also have heard you talk a lot about who your client is. And you keep mentioning a USP. I, that was a term I don't know if I've heard since you started saying it, I've heard variations of it, but I haven't heard it labeled that. So I definitely like you to talk about that. But my question for you would also be, um, I've heard a lot of, for, about branding, of, of finding your avatar, finding your target, and really niching it down, as you would call it. For podcasts, my thought process starting out was I didn't want to do that because I'm trying to get the largest audience so I can get the most downloads, and then we can look at the analytics of it and figure out really where are the people that are tuning in. What is your, and I know that that's not maybe the right thing to do. And definitely in other businesses, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. But what is your thoughts on that? And can you explain a little bit about what USP is? So USP is a unique selling point or a unique selling proposition. So everyone thinks that they've got you. So I'll give you the example. The lady that I was speaking to earlier, she's got a legal recruitment company. And she said, you know, I was like, what are your USP? She's like, you know, we really care. We handhold our candidates through to the point where they get the, the roles. And I was like, that's not unique. I said, I could go into anyone's, any other recruitment company, they're going to tell me the same shit. You know, I do this, I do this, I do this. I care about the client and I've only placed the right people. And I said, that's all, that's not unique. It's an SP, it's a selling point, not a unique selling point. I said, the unique selling point that you've got is that you are a husband and wife duo. He's got 20 years worth of experience in recruitment. You've been in law for 20 years. So you understand legal recruitment because you were in law and he's in recruitment. That's your USP. Use that. Between, you, between the two of you, you've got 40 years of legal recruitment expertise from inside the law sector. She's like, oh, you know, everyone hates the hates recruiters. They're almost like the outsiders. I said, well, you're not an outsider because you were inside. You worked in law. I said, so that's your USP. So a, a USP is a unique selling point. And what, again, when I go through branding exercises with clients, a lot of, often they'll, they'll tell me their selling points, but not, not the unique part of it. And it's the unique part that makes it valuable. Um, so that's what your USP is. In terms of podcasting, you're kind of right and you're kind of wrong. It, you, you've got very little control over where it goes. You know, your, your show's uh, done via Anchor, so they'll prioritise putting it onto to Spotify or whatever it may be. But it will go to all of those different platforms. I now get between 200 and 600 downloads a day in India. I've never nice. proactively chased the Indian market. It's just weirdly, it's obviously popped up. I've, I've gone into an app called Ghana over there and they've got about 150 million users something has obviously resonated maybe it went onto like an organic chart or it got in like a curated category or they put it on a home page or something happens there's a day there was a mega spike and i was like oh my god i've made it mum i'm a legend um i mean that spike dwindled down a little bit turns out i'm not uh, wholeheartedly a legend but you know it is what it is but um yeah but so there's no 
for, from my point of view, do I do I want to resonate with the Indian market? Well, from a business standpoint, yeah, anyone could could jump onto my podcast training, I guess, but it's not my, where I've sort of focused my my time and my energy. But you don't want to try and be everything to everybody because if you try to be everything to everybody, you end up being nothing to nobody. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but again, it's it's, it's absolutely true. My whole remit of building a brand, I would rather have, and this is genuine, hand on my heart, I'd rather have a hundred listeners who are dedicated to the art and craft of building brands who might ultimately be, I might be able to convert 10% of that audience, have a hundred people so I can convert 10 to become clients. I'd rather have them than 10,000 people listen a day who are kind of tire kicking watchers. Yes. Obviously if you get the weight of numbers, you can get sponsors on board. It helps you to get more, more um, higher ranging guests Yes, you could potentially like spin that and could you create an online product or whatever it may be. And to your point, you know, get the audience and then we'll work out what to do with them. That's not a bad, that's not a bad idea when you don't know what you're doing with them to start with, if that makes sense. But where possible, you know, your podcast will, whilst you haven't niched it down, by default, the sort of people you have on UFC fighters, celebrities, there will be a niche that you are already creating for yourself, if that makes sense. You just haven't done it proactively, but by definition of the sort of guests and the sort of conversation you're having, you are niching down. You just haven't consciously decided to do so. But equally, you don't want to uh, make your audience pull too small. You don't want to do something so, 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 so super niche that no one's ever going to listen to it unless you only want to resonate with that market. Let's say you want to do a knitting podcast. It's going to have a very, very small pool of listeners, but they'll be dedicated as fuck to the content that you create every single week. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point because on some of these podcast groups that I'm on on Facebook, there's guys that'll pop on and they'll be killing it and people start to ask their advice and they'll say, well, I'm on this like Christians between 20 and 23 year olds who live in the mid, like, and it's like, like these little tiny bullet points that the audience is so small, but their following is so hardcore and it's, it's, it's just a weird thing, man. It, it's interesting, you know, but I, I like that stuff. I like learning and just analyzing it and seeing the different things people are doing. But yeah. it also reminds me when I struggle with success, like, hey, somebody's got like a top ranked podcast that focused on, like you said, like a knitting podcast and like the Southeaster and they wound up being successful. And Mark Evans always like, I saw him in a couple of things and he'll end his things with like, hey, you guys are making excuses, but somebody made a million dollars this year selling dildos on Amazon. What the fuck is your excuse? And I'm like, <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm like at the end of the day. Good like, point. You just got to go well, for it. So well, one um, of my clients, thing- for example, he, he's a um, very successful entrepreneur. He's a, he had a horrendous anxiety as a kid and a teenager. And he basically, he dived so hard into personal development and self-development and motivation and mindset that by the time he was like 23, 24, he was a multimillionaire of his own volition. Very smart guy. He, I launched a podcast with him all about the mindset of business success. Bear in mind, this is a guy who's taken himself from anxiety, crippling anxiety, couldn't look people in the eye, to being a multimillionaire in his 20s. Got a podcast about the mindset of business. Gets a very, very mediocre following. He also happens to have trained himself as a hypnotherapist. His hypnotherapy podcast is getting a thousand downloads a day. He's got, he's getting a thousand downloads a day and he's getting clients from it. He's been able to pivot his business. He used to have a a very uh, posh, like Harley street location in central London. He now doesn't need it because he's gotten so many people um, remotely and digitally via zoom and stuff like that completely changed, but he never, he's that market, the hypnotherapy podcast appeals to a much in theory, much, much, much smaller audience 
but they're much it's a much deeper audience if that makes sense and equally for him even if he was getting 10 people listening a day if he can convert one of those 10 people a day into being a client who's going to charge 300 pound for an hour session with not a bad not a bad way to make a living yeah i mean i think that's awesome man that's great stuff too it, it, again it, you never you just never know what's going to catch it's really you interesting, don't. you know? You really don't. Like with, with his podcast, that was a secondary show that we launched. You know, we did the business one. I thought it was going to take off because it was actually a radio show. It was on a digital radio station here in the UK. And I, and I heard all this content. I was like, are you, are you ever going to put that out? Because he, he had me on his show. But then it was behind like this paywall thing and you couldn't really get to it that easily. I said, what you do? I said, how many <laughs> listeners do you actually get? He went, oh, it's very, very small, very small. He said, because the radio station wants to you know, monetize the content. I was like, well, they're going about it the entire wrong way, but I get it. I said, um, but he said, but I've got it written into the contract that I own the IP. I own the intellectual property of the content. And that's a very important thing for listeners to understand. Own your IP because there is value in the intellectual property. So he said, I could do whatever I want with it. I said, well, you've got 150 podcast episodes effectively there. You could put out three a week for the next 50 weeks without having to do any extra work. Just do it. So we did. But even that, you know, he's got he's got a, a radio station. I follow him because he's been on the radio. It's about a very broad topic, but it, you know, it doesn't do anywhere near like what his hypnotherapy podcast does in terms of like revenue or impact, which is really interesting because, like I say, he didn't know that that was going to be the case starting out. He just did it for just did it because he wanted to do it. And that's another thing that I think is important. If you do stuff with the best of intentions, if you do stuff from a good place, and this sounds a bit woo-woo, but I generally think that good things happen to good people who are doing good things for, for, for good reasons. I really do. If you go to start a generic business or marketing podcast because you want to monetize it straight away, I just don't think you're going to get the traction because you're never doing it for the right reasons. And I think the universe kind of knows that, that stuff. No, I agree with you, man, for sure. I think the intention you put out there is everything. Um, you know, now talking about branding on social media, it's a, it's a weird time. You know, I'm, I'm reading a couple of books about the, the bad and the good of social media and how it affects your brain. But being a branding expert, I'm interested in your take on the different options that people have. So, you know, for me, I, I really don't know the right answer. So I've heard people say you should really focus heavy on one. For me, I don't, I don't really know kind of what the best thing is. So when I put stuff out, I'm putting it everywhere. And then I'm looking at, man, everybody's trying to get on Instagram and I'm looking at the influences on Instagram that maybe have, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, hundred thousand followers. And then some of the Kardashians that have, you know, a couple million. And then my nieces and nephews are on TikTok and there's people with 20, 30, 40 million followers, a lot of them. And I'm like, man, is this where now things are going? So what are your thoughts or advice on what to focus on if you're trying to build your brand on social media as far as across all the platforms and some good and bad practices? So again, I'll go back to the point I made earlier about outcome thinking. What's the outcome that you're after? Uh, and don't get me wrong, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, TikTok's full of like, you know, weird young kids doing dance routines and all that kind of stuff. It's definitely become much more impactful than that for sure. You know, that's the multi-billion dollar industry with this weird little app. I've never got on board with it. So I didn't bother with it. Should I have? Maybe, maybe not. But I would say you don't know what you're going to be good at until you try some stuff. So by all means, go onto different platforms. I've, I've got a guy that I interviewed, um, a guy called Jeff J. Hunter, super successful marketing dude. And he got this insane gaming chair. And this thing like drops down over your head and it's got lights and sound effects and it, it's nuts. But he, um, he put that on TikTok and it just blew him up. He became like, he was on the trending page. He's got like 150,000 followers on TikTok. He's got something like 50 million views in, in a couple of months. Mega. But again, sort of going 
goes back to the message of being congruent. He was just being a geeky gamer in this gaming chair and people bought into it. He never set out with the intention to do it. But again, if he hadn't tried it, he would never have known. So I suggest try some stuff, you know, go onto Facebook, go onto LinkedIn, go onto Twitter, go onto uh, Insta, go onto these different, go onto Medium if you're a great writer, go onto YouTube if you're good on video, start a podcast if you're good at audio, start these things and see what gives you two things. Start as what give, see what gives you the most enjoyment which is really imp- important because if you don't like doing stuff, you won't do it to the full potential and see where you get the most engagement. I've just recently, I've just started to sort of double down my focus on LinkedIn. I previously, I used to, uh, used to I'm, when I had a seven figure coaching business, I ran that through my Facebook personal profile. Never did ads, never did it on a, on a page, never paid for any of the traffic, literally made a seven figure business through my profile, had my Facebook page hacked and, oh. and Facebook permanently deleted it. I had two and a half thousand pound stolen out of my account on Facebook ads. I had this weird notification. It was like, are you in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam? I was like, uh, no. And then the app went a bit crazy and kicked me out. And then I basically, I'm not sure what happened. I think they probably used my money to incite racial violence or something like that. Cause I got like a hard delete because I'd, you know, irrevocably broken the rules of Mark Zuckerberg's little kingdom. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. But I realized I'd been heavily, heavily reliant on that platform. And actually to my detriment, because that, that, you know that platform went i've been on facebook for 13 years you know there's pictures of my wedding my first child my first holidays with my children you know all this stuff was on this platform it is now gone Man. my business my credibility my social proof i've done 128 podcast launches most of them i've never even got screenshots of because i stuck them on facebook and every year they go here's a reminder and I post that out and it gives me more clients idiot but again, you don't know what you don't know. And I don't mind making a mistake. I only mind making it you know, more than once. So I was overly reliant on the platform. So don't do that. Don't become overly reliant on a platform. Even if you get great on Insta, push them to somewhere else as well. Um, you know, but the other thing that I'd also suggest that people do, and it's very, very underrated, especially within the business space, is that get them onto a platform you control. So get their data, get them onto a mailing list, grab their data so you can communicate with them. Because as I say, I had at one point, you know, 4,000 connections on my Facebook personal profile. If I had, you know, 10% of those people on board, I could easily still market to that community because they, they know my social proof because they've been following me. There's loads of connections where people have added me six months later, like, oh, mate, I thought you, I thought you disowned me. I've just found what happened to your profile. <laughs> and uh, nobody knew because I couldn't tell anybody because I couldn't remember how many connections I had. So yeah, make sure you've got to understand that when you're on social media or even if you're on, uh, you know, selling on Shopify or you're doing FBA by Amazon or whatever, if it's a third party site, you are always playing on somebody else's playground. And at any given second, they can pick up the ball and fuck off home with it. So you've got to make sure that at some level you are also creating your own community your own tribe and you hold people's data the value is in the data now so i've just literally started building up a mailing list very very small you have started a couple of weeks ago i've got 170 people on it now but every single week i can now mail to those people and i control that data no one can take that away from me facebook linkedin insta zoom no one can take it away from me and now i'm using those platforms to get the data as a first port of call so i'd say two things if you don't know which platform to double down onto try bits of stuff See what sticks, what you enjoy, and what resonates with the audience, what's giving you the, the, the genuine outcomes. And then, as I say, get the data and hold it, you know, create a community or a platform that you own the IP of. Again, it goes back to that intellectual property. Own that IP or own that data because then no one can take it from you. That's solid advice, man. I love that. Be, being a brand coach, 
how do you stay on top of what's what's changing? Because again, the businesses change, platforms change. I, I saw a trend today. As soon as I woke up at like 5 a.m., delete Facebook, everybody's trying to do now because there's something else that happens. So people are pulling off of that. I'm getting invited to parlor and all these different things. Um, so how do you stay on top of what's changing? What's the next TikTok? What's the next Snapchat? Well, I'm really lucky because I don't see branding as under the same guise as, as marketing. So the brand, the fundamentals of branding will always stay the same. You need to understand core values, USPs, mission statement, ideal buyer profile, stakeholders. You know, what is your, what is your thing? Who are you providing your service for? So me as a branding coach, I don't really need to be on top of like the latest thing, you know, uh, get within the podcasting space, I definitely do. Cause that's, you know, my whole shtick is that I'm the podcast king. People can't start calling me that. I was like, oh, I'm going to tell, I hated it. So I was like, that's so cheesy, but people are now going, oh, hey, I hear you're the podcast king. Can we have a, can we do a Zoom call? I'm like, oh, actually, this is starting to stick now. So things, you know, like um, when Amazon released, uh, when Amazon Music said, right, you can upload your podcast now to get onto Alexa. I had to dive onto that straight away and go, right, how do podcasters do it? When uh, Ghana, for example, this big app in India, when I clocked that they had 150 million users and they were trying to get into the Western market a little bit more, I had to work out how to get onto that. When things like Patreon pop up, and then they have their changes of service. I have to be on top of that. You know, there's a literally today, Patreon and a company called Acast have done a collaboration. So what does that mean for podcasters? So I watch like very specific industry news, but I don't allow myself to get overly drawn into spending too much time. I, I'm interested in the podcast space. I read the industry news anyway, because I'm a podcast geek and it's my, my brand is being the king of podcasting. But I don't get overly sucked into the general like TikTok, insta you know linkedin stories what's that going to mean I've, there's other people who know much more stuff than me and i'm just very careful about who i follow so you know gary is a great metric of what's important and what's going to change um there's some people here in the uk who are great for facebook advertising they're great for insta they're great at these different social media pl platforms so i will watch their content so I basically i watch other people's content uh but within the podcasting space yeah i know and i'd say for people who listen to this if you've got a niche that you're already in, you know, get on industry newsletters because you're going to see that sort of information break there before it goes anywhere else. And then you can utilize that to elevate your own brand because, um, you know, uh, Patreon and this ACAST link up in a couple of weeks' time, everyone will be talking about it because I've seen it via the industry press, which is you know, the industry newsletter, the biggest industry newsletter for, for podcasting is called Pod News. And only 14 and a half thousand of us subscribe to it. It shows you like how geeky and small podcast space still is. So whilst there's 14 and a half thousand podcast purists that will understand about it, the general population ain't going to hear about it for another three weeks. So when I've been banging on about it, they'll be like, ah, oh, this guy's the, the Don. Uh, and you get to that weird sort of point, don't you, with like uh, Gary Vee, for example. Does Gary Vee spot the trend early or does Gary Vee call it and then it becomes a trend? So when you can get that early doors within your niche, you become not that you're uh, like a fortune teller, but you're that authoritative that it looks like you, you called it and then it happened. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, the Real Mackenzies, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He has played all over the world, and he is also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced, beginner, any types of styles from metal 
all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833-632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's smart, man. I love that. that. That's a really good angle to look at that. I'm going to check out that newsletter too. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yes, yeah, brilliant. If anyone who's listening to this is a podcast fan. Yes, yeah, called Pod News. He's written by a guy called James Cridland, who used to be in the radio game for a long, long time. And he's um, what's called a, a broadcast futurologist. What a shit title. But um, <laughs> lo- lovely guy and like really, really knows his stuff inside out. So when they're going to launch a new app, they'll often bring him on as a board of advisors. So he's kind of like a bit of a kingmaker within the space. So yeah, it's, but within every niche, there will be that little, there'll be a pod news version for branding, for marketing, for industrial chemicals, whatever your sector, I don't know why I went there, that was random, but for whatever your sector or your, your hyper niche, there will be the blog or the newsletter, follow that stuff. Because otherwise it's just information overwhelm. You know, if you're trying to absorb everything from everybody about every subject to marketing, it's so broad now, you know, social media is like a, it's just a, a general sweeping statement for, you know, a very different subset, you know, how you act on Insta, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, it's all very different. They shouldn't be social media. They are individual marketing platforms. And this is the other thing that I think has sort of changed the, the dynamic within the marketplace is that because everybody can have a go, everybody is having a go, but it doesn't mean that everyone's getting it right. Yeah, fair enough, man. I, I completely second that for sure. Um, you, you also touched on something that I heard you speak of that I could not help but bring up, but I know that you used to be in property management and being that the underlying foundation of my uh, podcast is pretty much real estate jujitsu. Uh, I wanted to hear a little bit about your thoughts on property management, because especially the guys that come on that are in multi-units and you know trying to build portfolios of single family homes, I, I tell everybody, your property management company is going to make or break your investment. If you have a good property manager, you're going to have a good experience. You have a bad one, you're going to have a horrible experience. And the building I just sold, the biggest advice I gave to the guy I sold it to, I was like, the way you keep this building happy is by keeping this property management happy. She gets upset, you're going to feel it in your wallet against the building. So I know I know it wasn't something you love. You obviously didn't stick with it. But uh, what did you used to do in property management? And, and what, what advice do you have for people on how to treat their property managers better? <laughs> So, so real estate uh, over here on either side of the pond is very, very different. So that whole like multi-unit thing, that doesn't happen too much here. I know you guys have a lot of that kind of, you know, buy up six, 12 units in a block and then you manage it and then you sort of like sell the, the, the ground rights to it. It doesn't really happen that often here. The majority of property investment in this country is either, you know, single family homes or little development blocks of flats, but people will build them and then sell them on. We've got something called permitted development here at the moment. So you could buy commercial property and you don't need the planning permission to change it into residential. It's called office to resi. So that's become very, very popular because where all of the office blocks and all the companies are now leaving the town centers, you've got you know, whole towns and cities where large sections of it, you know, the Eastern wing of like Sheffield, which is in the middle of the UK, for example, is decimated when big businesses leave because there's nothing there. So then they start doing this office to resi thing. So it's very different. But um, so my background was that I, I um, when I was in the music industry, I was like, oh, this is a bit of a dodgy game to be in. I should probably buy some houses because that seems safe. So so I did. I bought a few a few rental units, and then I got very into the sort of the property training space. 
And I learned about these very clever, like cash flowing tactics and how you could control property with very little money, things like lease options. So you could buy a house for a pound and then you could sell it and make all the profit. It did all this like clever stuff. I got very into it. And because of my presenting background, because of my marketing background, some of the property training companies were like, ah, could you come on board and help us launch events or help do our marketing and all that kind of stuff. So I did various bits and pieces around the property space. And the last thing I was doing, yeah, was property management. So we had a company called, oh, what was it called? Prime Site Lets. And we had 21 properties that we managed. They were all multi-lets. They were all like multi, like young professionals who live in the same house, but in separate rooms. So we had 93 tenants across 21 houses and we controlled about 50 million pounds worth of property as the, as the managers. But the main thing for me, I hate people. <laughs> I just, I hate people. No, I don't really. Um, <laughs> but the main thing for me was it just wasn't my passion. My passion is, you know, I, was, I literally, we used to have all of our tenants and all of our houses on WhatsApps because we wanted to be really like mega, you know, if there's a leak, we wanted to know about it. If someone needs to be let into a property, we needed to, to know about it. We had, we had really, really happy clients, really happy um, tenants. You know, when we had our first child, one of our houses bought us uh, a bottle of champagne and like a baby seat and a bath and all this. So they, they loved us. They absolutely loved us, um, which was great because I'm always a big fan of like doing the best job that you can do, even if it's not something that you want to do. Um, but ultimately, I just, I ended up firefighting every day. You know, I'd get anything between... 30 and 150 text messages a day i've evicted people i've dragged people out of houses i've stopped fights i've had to let people drunk people into rooms at 10 at 12 o'clock at night it just wasn't for me and then at the same time you know this the podcasting coaching was taking off and that was becoming quite a successful business i'm like why am i doing one thing which makes me kind of unhappy and um yeah one of my mates emigrated to the states and his leaving party, we had a, a pipe burst in one of our houses. So there's this, all of our friends and family sort of got together for these, for, for my best friends leaving forever to America. And I'm sitting there watching a fucking plumber at 12 o'clock at night, plumber stop cock onto a radiator, and they're all having a party. And I was like, this was not the property dream that I signed up for. So uh, property for me was always a means to an end. But I think also for me, um, it, over here in the UK, uh, it's probably the same for you guys. You've got sort of very expensive bits and very cheap bits, but but property I see is a very good way of protecting wealth and growing wealth. I think it's a very hard industry to make wealth in from scratch. And that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to cash flow wealth. And I think you can, I think you secure wealth, but I, what I want to do is, you know, build up the business that I've got now and then invest the profits into assets rather than trying to make profit from assets, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a great way to go about it. And I agree, man. I, I from day one learned not to manage my own properties because of that exact thing. So I've, I've had to get people in there, but you find that across the board, the problem is that most property managers hate being property managers. So I'm always, I'm always having that battle of like, I know you don't want to go there. You don't want to do that, but that's what I hired you to do. Cause that's what you said you did. You know, so like yeah. we're always, Kind of going back and it's, forth. It's but. one of those like fairly thankless tasks. You'll only get yes. people in contact with you. Like no one's messaging you on a Sunday night going, hey, just wanted to say thanks for like, the house is really clean. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for those cleaners. Like you're never, you're never getting that. It's literally like Look such at this and water such pressure. keeps taking. <laughs> yeah. What's going on here? Oh, blah, blah, blah. But again, like with, with our 
even when we had 93 tenants, you know, that was me and my wife because we ran the company together. We just had a new baby. We were like flat out. She was the, the brains behind the operation. I was like the boots on the ground. She would tell me to do viewings. And we got it to that point, that sort of sticky point where we had enough profit coming in. We could probably take on one, maybe two members of staff. But did we want to scale it? And again, it goes back to almost the, the sort of very beginning. What are you trying to build here? And we realized that actually we were climbing a ladder but the ladder was leaning up against the wrong wall. So we were like, right, let's get out. We sold the contracts to those houses. And we, um, yeah, we, we were kind of, we were kind of done with it. And I was, and I was glad where we were because it was responsibility and a headache that we didn't want. And also I think that the other thing is that in property, everyone thinks, you know, landlords are rich and property people are rich and don't get me wrong. You can, again, you can protect your wealth and you can certainly um, accelerate your wealth for sure. But when, you know, London rents, we were, we were paying thousands and thousands of pounds of rent to these these property owners and then we were making you know a margin on top but from you know 60 70 thousand pounds a month cash flow you know your profits six seven grand i mean there's two of you hammering it 24 7 365 getting 150 text messages a day seven grand ain't enough to make it worthwhile man yeah now you, to, you, you did mention whatsapp too i've heard you mention that a few times what is it about whatsapp that you like that that uh that app so much um just because well, I, they, I know there's other sort of platforms that, that do similar stuff like telegram and that kind of stuff it's not really taken off over here whatsapp's been like super popularized it's very similar I, I look at it very similar to zoom you know is, is zoom the best platform for recording podcasts and stuff on no there's much better high definition recording options with like a squad cast or a zencaster but it's got mass market traction so it's easy to send a zoom link i understand how it works you understand how it works jump on the video's top of bottom bish bash bosh off we go and same for WhatsApp, we could get all of our tenants onto it because those those WhatsApp groups within those houses, for example, they only worked if everybody used them. And WhatsApp was what that that app that everybody had on their phone or we made it part of their tenancy when they moved in, they had to download the app so we could communicate with them. And it's just a quicker, easier, faster way of doing it. A lot of you know property management companies want to, they'll only be communicated to via email and that's fine. But again, when you're managing six people living under the same roof, and these are not like multi-units. These are multiple rooms under in the same unit, if that makes sense. I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah. have anything similar. I suppose you must do for like student lets and stuff. Sure. But if there's a problem on person, a drip of poison in a bucket can kill everybody very, very quickly. So you want to know there's a problem fast. You want to resolve the problem fast. But we were probably, we were much too accessible and much too emotionally involved in that business. I'm literally, I'm, it gives me shudders to think about it now. <laughs> well, I like that you changed direction because most people will live in that way past the expiration date of when it becomes fun and then they can't get out. So the fact that you identified this isn't a good for, good fit for me and change direction, I think is, you know, part of what makes you a true entrepreneur. That That's really a big piece there. Um, for, for WhatsApp, for me, the thing I didn't like about it is exactly like you said that, I mean, you can mute the conversations, yes, but emails I can get around to checking. The WhatsApp, I feel like is constantly... Like you're forcing me to be in the conversation. And again, if I don't want to be putting out fires, I want to be watching something or doing a podcast. I'm like, just email me. Cause otherwise, like in the middle of it, my WhatsApps will be popping up. So I guess you just got to figure out like the, the pros and cons to how you want to, how do you want to use the tool? It could be a sword or it could be, you know, something to help you. 100%. And that's the whole thing with social media. I watched the social dilemma the other day and every, you know i love the fact that everyone's on facebook going oh my god it's blown my mind i can't believe these companies are doing that i'm like uh you just posted about it on the app that they put on your phone dude like you're you're, <laughs> you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem by posting that but ultimately 
You know, all of these apps, they're all there to save us time. Time is the most precious resource that we've got. Why is voice technology becoming so popular? You know, I could walk into my house and go, Alexa, turn the lights on. Alexa, play a podcast. Alexa, turn the heating up. Why? Because it saves me four seconds. And people are like, oh, is it really that impactful? Well, yeah, four seconds, three times a day. is 20 seconds. You can better deploy that time. All of these things are there to make life easier and quicker and more enjoyable, ultimately. But you have to use them. And this is the thing with social media and any platform I tell people all the time use the platform don't let the platform use i love that man that's very wise words now so speaking of your favorite platforms let's get into your podcast um so tell people a little bit about what your podcast is about i know you're you have a couple of different things you focus on but more importantly i want to know what your podcast is about and what made you decide to focus in on podcasts after all these other different things you've done in your background yeah, so podcast, as I say, in 2017, when I decided, I, I had a broadcast background, so I was a, a radio presenter, and I kind of missed that presenting buzz. Once you've been a performer, I think you'll always be a performer, and if you don't find a good channel for it, you'll just piss everyone else off in your house. So I was like, I've got to find somewhere else to, to expedite this energy. And I kept seeing it get more and more popular, but I'll tell you what it was, in 2012, I think it was, I started listening to Lewis Howe's School of Greatness podcast. I was just like, I just love it. I just love what he was doing, mindset, motivation, inspiration, aspiration. I just didn't know that whole world kind of existed. And there's this like this guy talking about it and he's making a business out of it. And I was like, that's a really cool thing to do. So um, I've been sat on the fence on it for like, you know, from 2012, I sort of discovered it. 2017, I launched my first one. So there's five years, half a decade of kind of like, I mean, in Irish, should I do it? Shan't I do it? Do I want to do it? I already had the background in broadcast, etc. So I was like, why don't I just do it? I've even, I had a microphone. You can still see it up there. It's like a, in fact, let me show you. It's so shit now. But I remember buying this and it cost me like 350 quid. Nice. It cost me a fortune at the time. <laughs> a Zoom H2. Jesus Christ, it's like a relic now. But yeah, I've had that on my, literally, you know, since 2010. So I was like, you know, you've got the, you've got the background, you've got the acumen. Why don't you do something about it? So I just doubled down on, on the podcast thing. And it, it kind of, everything else within the podcast space happened accidentally. You know, if that first show hadn't been launched so successfully, if I hadn't got, you know, Tim Ferriss, me, Gary V in the top three, would it have landed, you know, ended up with so many people reaching out to me going, oh my God, can you help me to launch mine? Would it end up, you know, with me, you know, having the life that I have now? I have no idea. Podcasting has genuinely changed my life. It sounds a bit cheesy, but it absolutely did. It categorically got me out of that property management company, which I, which I by that point, genuinely hated. Um, uh so yeah so i doubled down on that and in terms of why did i want to do the show i love marketing i love branding and i think that, but i could also see that the personal brand thing so i started this at the sort of the very advent of the personal brand kind of revolution but i understand that brand and branding and your personal brand especially is kind of the foundational stone to any success that you're going to have in life but it was also enabled me uh, it was broad, it's specific and targeted enough to be kind of like semi-niched, but it was also broad enough that, you know, when people come on and talk about their their brand, they're going to talk about their struggles, which talks about mindset. They're going to talk about wins and losses, which is going to talk about their mentality. Mindset, motivation, success. I love all that stuff. It's just, it's my hobby and my passion. So it's, it's now also happens to be my profession, which is, you know, an absolute, uh, I don't take that for granted in any way shape or form so yeah that's why i went into podcasting and that's why specifically building the brand is, is the name of the show and i talk to people who are building excited businesses and brands i've had uh you know grant cardone on the show i've had um 
I'm trying to think of some guys that you guys would know of. Um, Jeff J. Hunter, who I mentioned this sort of TikTok influencer. Um, Troy Casey, who's the certified health nut. Gary Brecker, who is the guy behind the 10X health system, uh, leading human biologist. I've had, you know, venture capitalists, all kinds of cool people on. People have been on the telly, celebrities, athletes, actors. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, I, 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 and I also love diving in deep to the conversations and the, the journeys of people, because I think you can vicariously learn the habits of success via looking at the habits of successful people. So it's just, yeah, just, just why I wanted to go into it, really. I a thousand percent agree with you. I, I love getting on conversations and hearing about the struggles people came over, the lessons that they learned, the obstacles that they overcame. You know, again, I, I, and I've always said, I like listening to anybody that's passionate about anything. So people are excited to talk about something and they, they know their craft well and they love their craft well. I like watching people be passionate about stuff. And I obviously can tell you are about yours and about branding and all that stuff. And you're natural on the mic, you're a natural talker. So it, it does make sense that you do very well and you have a very successful podcast. So um, you and I were talking before we started doing this about a lot of the details that people don't realize how much time and and details and things actually go into a podcast. Like if people knew how, I mean, you would, but if pe the average person knew how much, how many hours a week I put into actually like the clips and the content and the, da, 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 you know, all these different things, even mm -hmm. stuff like as basic as I, I know you, you use Libsyn too, but knowing like what to click, how to categorize it, where to put the things, how to set up. It, it's a lot. And I don't think people realize they just go, well, I want to start a podcast because I think I can monetize a podcast, but you don't just start it and get paid on it. Yeah. You have to do the things you're talking about. So um, talk a little <laughs> bit about what your company does to help people with these different things. I know you guys offer audio, visual, production, branding, ranking, you're getting people top rated, which that was the thing I didn't even realize until very recently, probably almost a year into doing a podcast that getting those downloads and getting those reviews helps get you ranked. And when you get ranked, now sponsors are going to potentially look at you and you can potentially monetize or get bigger, bigger clients or bigger names or bigger guests. Like all these things that nobody ever told me until, you know, semi recently that I've learned from you and from doing this. So people just don't realize that. So talk a little bit about what you guys do and how you help people with all those problems. Uh-oh, did I lose you? All right. So my, my question for you was the podcast stuff. We had talked about how much people have to do behind the scenes on it. And I know that people think that they can just monetize a podcast. They can just go on. I'll start a podcast. I get sponsors, but knowing things like how to use Libsyn, how to categorize, how to put the proper show notes together, how to get the reviews, how to get ranked, the audio, the visual, the clips, the, 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 the monetizing, the marketing, all those different things to be able to even get ranked and get reviews and get guests. It's, I mean, it's a job in itself. And I know that your company helps people with all those things that most people don't even know are so important or necessary or have any idea how much time and effort they take. So um, talk about how you guys cure that pain for your clients. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where actually the, the company grew from keeping getting requested to offer the same stuff again and again and again. And I was like, I keep hearing people ask me to do this. And I was busy running other businesses. And I was like, I probably should look at doing this. So Literally, I remember I coached, uh, so, so there's a couple of ways that I work with clients. So I either coach people on a one-to-one -one basis, and I literally take people through the A to Z of how to plan, produce, monetize, grow, and launch a successful podcast in a day. It's a fairly intensive day. So whether I go into a marketing team or I go into, um, you know, work with a business owner or work with the entrepreneur, I literally, it's me and them one-to-one -one or me and their, their sort of marketing team, a one-on mini mass, I guess. And I just hammer information at them for, for six, seven hours. I've had amazing feedback off it. 
Um, but it is a full-on day and you've got to be like ready to absorb the information. And I charge 1,500 quid for it as well. So 1,500 pounds sterling is what, $2,500. So it's not, a, it's not a cheap day for a lot of people. Um, so then when COVID kicked off, I was like, do you know what? I should probably offer, find a way to offer it online. So I did that. I thought, well, hang on a second. There's a bit of an opportunity here. I could still charge my same day rate, which is £1,500, but I could probably help more people. If I said I'm knocking 90% off my price, so I'll make it £150, not £1,500, but if I do 10 people, I'm earning the same, same money, and I'm also helping 10 times as many people, so therefore my reach will grow, and et cetera, et cetera. And it, and it worked. You know, I was getting a lot of people reaching out to me about coaching and training and one-to-one stuff. And... Um, so, so that's the couple of ways that I work on a personal basis. And then people kept saying to me, they get to the end of the training, even the 1500 quid one day training, they'd be like, look, mate, we love it. We love the idea of it. We love the concept of it. We're completely sold on it. Just haven't got the time. Could, could you do it for us? And I was like, nah, too busy. Sorry. And I was like, you're an idiot. You know, if you keep getting people asking you, could you do this for us? And I kept farming it out to other people. And I was like, well, that's stupid for two reasons. Number one, I'm giving away money. And number two, I'm risking my brand and my reputation because we've mentioned earlier, your brand is your reputation. I'm risk, risking my reputation as the podcast king every time I outsource it to somebody else. It's like, well, why don't I just get some, a little gang around me, a little team around me. I'll take on the work and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll wait until I get too busy. Then I'll bring in another member of the team. I'll outsource it. Then I'll bring in another member of the team. And that's exactly what we've done. So yeah, the ultimate podcast group literally does all the stuff that people don't want to do. So literally, the, the, you know, our clients act as in the role of talent. They talk into the microphone, whether it be on Zoom or whether it be you know, if they're doing a solo episode or whatever, they upload their content into a, a private client Google Drive and everything else happens for them. The production, the compression, the artwork, the logistics, the upload, the syndication, the audiograms, the quote graphics, all of the marketing assets. Because to your point a minute ago, that you said, you know, lots of people think that they're just going to switch on a microphone, talk into it, bish, bash, bosh, your podcast is done. Don't get me wrong, you can kind of do that with the Anchor app. But again, you're not going to get a fully polished and professional sounding show. And even if you get it up and, and out really easily, you need to do the marketing. What I find so often, I charge people you know, a thousand pounds to do half day consultancies for a couple of hours, existing podcasters. And the most of the time, they're like, how can I increase my, my reach, my listing audience? How do I grow it? And when I look at it, they're not doing any marketing. They're doing so, you know, on a Wednesday, they put out their podcast and they don't even talk about it apart from on a Wednesday. Hey, my podcast is out. They don't talk about it, you know, Thursday to, to Tuesday. You know, so I'm like, well, we need to get some marketing assets in here consistently. So, yeah, that's, that's what the Ultimate Podcast Group does. So we work with people either on a monthly production basis. We do all of the, the heavy lifting for them so they can just do the fun bit of talking into a microphone. Or we actually do full launches as well. So for companies and brands and organizations who want a podcast but don't know or don't want to do it themselves, we do it all for them. So we do the launch, the strategy, we work out who they're gonna, you know, who's their target market, we go through a branding overview, we create their artwork, we do the intros and outros. We've got a fantastically posh sounding voiceover artist who makes everything sound like audio caramel. We've got production teams, we've got graphics, we've got a video uh, producer in case we need videos as well. So yeah, everything other than speaking into the microphone, we do for our clients. And it came about because literally people, were, I, I just got to enough people keep asking me the same question, really. That's awesome, man. Another thing I think you guys offer that's huge that I haven't seen as many people offer, which I've looked for, is uh, going over the monthly analytics of the podcast and identifying what's happening this month, like where we need to grow, what we went right, where we went wrong. And I feel like a lot of people aren't doing it. They say it when you first start to, to get involved, we're going to do all these things. We're going to give you consulting on your podcast. We're gonna, but then they, they just don't. 
And uh, I think that that's a huge thing with any business is to have consistent, whether it's weekly or monthly or quarterly, but you have to look at where you are, what's working, what's not working and learn how to adjust just like you do with your business. You know, your property management stuff, this isn't working for me personally or professionally. We're going to identify and go somewhere else that we do enjoy and we do love. And I feel mm -hmm. like any business needs to do that. Um, are you finding that that's something that uh, separates you or helps some of your clients stay in the podcast game longer and become successful? Because I know there's a ton of people that start podcasts and then a lot of them that I, I forget what the magic number is, but there's it's something like really low that most people don't get past like the fifth episode or whatever it, it is. Seven. It used to be seven. seven. Yeah. yeah. Seven was the magic number. Yeah. There's something like 80% uh, of podcasts like pre 2017 you know there was yeah 80 percent of podcasts never got past episode seven i think the the, the the number will be a lot higher now because there's more focus on it there's more money on it there's you know billions of pounds worth of or billions of dollars worth of advertising is gonna it's gonna hit a billion dollars in revenue next year so i think as the money comes in the seriousness of it kicks in and the popularity of it kicks in so i think you get less people dropping off for sure um but to your point yeah the analytics and stuff for for most clients we it's, it's not really a selling point it's only like you you're already in the game so now you understand why the analytics are valuable. I understand why the analytics are valuable, which is why I give it to clients, but they don't need, they don't know that they need it or want it at the starting point. So they're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. I get these analytics. <laughs> but basically, you know, I, I, do, I do it on myself as well. I, and I say to clients all the time on a monthly basis, even if I just do the coaching with them and I'm not going to do their production on a monthly basis, like ongoing, say, so read your data. They're like, what do you mean? So Libsyn, you go to Libsyn, you get all of your episodes and there's a little toggle button you can click and it ranks it from most popular to least popular. I did it um, three or four days ago as an example for a client and all of my top five shows, which have got far more downloads than others, have got monetary numbers in the title. So my most popular show is how I've, um, the £14,000 tax bill I didn't know about. That's unsurprisingly, I mean, it's quite clickbaity, and then, but it's a true story. I literally, I've got an old accountant reached out to me and said, hey, by the way, you owe the uh, the UK government 14,000 pounds and can you pay it in the next six days? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Didn't see that coming. And then my second most popular show was how I made, you know, from a standing start, because the ultimate podcast group's only been going since June, since since lockdown. I was, I was running a, a, a live training business prior to that and do the podcast coaching on the side so my first month we did seven thousand four hundred seventy five pounds in in revenue and um, you know that's not a a, a life-changing sum of money but as a new business started in covid lockdown from a standing start out of necessity i was like oh, that's kind of cool but again so when i looked at the stats all of my most popular shows are number-based so again, by understanding it, people might be listening, go, well, okay, well, what does that help you to do? Well, now I can make sure I curate content. It goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier about curating the message. I can curate the content to have the most impact. So, you know, what, what the top 1% of podcasters do, are doing that no one else is. That would be a great title because it's hooking them in. It's using a, a numeric. And that's obviously what my, my audience really likes. So yeah, by reading the data, you can see the stuff that's really working and the stuff that's, that's really not. For example, you know, um, I've got this huge audience now in India. So by rights, you know, I could, in theory, I could look at the Indian business space. I could look at you know, Google trends in India. And if I wanted to be even like more super um, like news hacky, I could look at Indian Google, see what the top 20 trends on Google trends and talk about a subject that's most relevant to them. You know, what is you know, COVID, you know, what's happening in COVID lockdown in the Far East or, or in the Asian market? you know, speak their language, but I can make basically make content that I already know is going to be mo most popular. 
I love that, man. The reverse engineering is always a great way to go. And as much as some people don't like details, at the end of the day, the dollars are in those details and you have to have that data. You, just like real estate, you know, I tell everybody, I don't even consider myself somebody who buys and sells houses anymore. I consider myself somebody who analyzes data because that's going to tell you all the right moves you should make and all the ones you shouldn't make. So I think that's awesome, man. That was very helpful. Um, you've been yeah, great with you. I don't, I don't, sorry, go ahead. And with the data thing, you're absolutely right. And people are kind of like switching onto it now. They're like, oh, you know, data is more valuable than oil. And they sort of like say these things, but they don't understand it. That was another thing I took from the social dilemma. You know, Facebook and the social media platforms have got, you know, two and a half thousand, three thousand data points on you. They they know what you're going to do before you're going to do it. And people are like, oh, it's like voodoo magic or NLP or it's, you know, it's mind control. It's not, it's data. But you've got data within your business. Like, you know, you do, do you need 3,000 data points on podcast listening? Hell no. You need a few. You know, what's been your most popular episode? What's your most popular day of the week? What numbers do you drop off? You know, if you put it out on a Friday, but it tanks over the weekend because listening drops off, you know, don't put your show out on a Friday, put it out on a Thursday, you'll double your download numbers. Simple shit like that. But reading the data and understanding what the data is telling you can make a big, big impact. And like I say, the, the, the dollars are in the data. And the devil's in the detail, whether you like it or not, whether you think you're a data person or a detail person, that's where, you know, you'll either win or lose is based on those marginal gains that, that put you above and beyond other people. And it's not about beating other people, but it's a competitive marketplace out there right now in the branding space, the marketing space, the real estate space, the podcast space. So you've got to use every advantage, fair or unfair, to get above and beyond where, where your competitors are at, frankly. I agree with that, I man. You got to go the extra mile if you want to stick out for sure. I think it's it's wise words. Um, I, I like to, I like to call this the victory lap and kind of end things with a, a few final questions here. Um, you give me a lot of time today. I really appreciate it. It's been very great talking. That's to you, been great fun, man. I've enjoyed it. Man. I got a friend out there too. I keep meaning to give her a shout out, Marion. I think she just uh, she's a jujitsu friend of mine out there doing some studies. So I'll give her a hello. She's more in your neck of the woods. I know she's getting locked down. But one of my first questions in the final lap is, how do you stay positive? You seem like, a, I mean, you got great energy. You got a great attitude. How do you keep yourself in, especially, you know, some of the businesses that you have wins and losses as an entrepreneur, how do you keep yourself positive and how do you keep yourself hungry? Um, hungry, I don't know if you can keep yourself hungry. I think I'm just naturally hungry. Like I, I always want to be doing, have more, but it starts it's in that order. I want to be, do, and have more. So it starts with, I know I need to, to get more. I have to become more. And I love that process. I love learning. I'm a, you know, I'm an avid reader. I fell off that for a little while for, for a few years. I'm an avid reader. I love consuming content. I like, I just like good energy as well. And I'm, you know, I'm an entertainer. I like making people happy. I like being around happy people. I hate people with shit energy. I'd rather just remove those sort of mood hoovers from, from my life. So that the whole, like uh, the hunger thing comes kind of naturally. In terms of staying positive, I think routine is really important for me. So I like to get up early in the morning. And I'm part of the 5 a.m. club ordinarily. I haven't been since the birth of my new baby. But now everyone's like, oh, 5 a.m. club's bullshit. Oh, you're so tired. I'm like, no, I just I like the sun. I like watching the sun come up. I like being out when it's quiet. I like being out when no one's around. I like feeling like I've got to jump on other people. I'm only competing with myself, nobody else. But I like that feeling of I'm doing stuff when other people aren't. Um, but equally, you know, I'm, I'm human. I've got children. The other day, you know, my son can't go to nursery school because of lockdown. And I was uh, putting the bins out and I knocked something off the side. And it was like a little report card from his nursery. And it talks about how how lovely he is with the other children. When these new kids come in, he takes them to like the little kitchen and he shows them around. And and, and I, cry, I cry my eyes out. And my wife and I tried my, my hardest for my wife not to see. She walks in, she's like, what's wrong? I said, I just feel really sad today. I said, just let me just sit in it for a moment. And I just, I did, I cried, cried my fucking eyes out for half an hour. 
watch my son playing out in the garden. I'm getting emotional now. Saw my son playing out in the garden. I was like, I don't know why I feel sad, but I just do. But being mindful of that and understanding how I operate, I know that I have moments where I sort of, you know, when you when you drive as hard as I do, when you're as focused as I am, when you push, and when you're an entrepreneur, you put your fucking ass on the line every single day to, to turn a quid or turn a dollar, it is stressful. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love the hustle of it. I love the game of it. But it does, it, you know, it does get to you. So I think routine is really important. But also um, being mindful of how you best operate and trying to peak, keep yourself with those peak, peak, peak performance opportunities. But also the other day when I, when I felt sad, I didn't try and run away from it. I didn't just try and sort of go, oh, no, 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 it's fine. Oh, no, I've just got to crack on. I was like, let me just sit in this for a minute. What, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this? Yes, I feel sad, but why do I feel sad? What's the actual root cause of the sadness? Because sad, anger, happy, those are kind of end results of other emotions. It's like, let me actually you know, understand myself a little bit better. So I'm not sure if that's a, a rambling answer that you were looking for, but I, I'm very hungry by default and I'm really driven. I like getting up early. And if it all gets a bit much, I'll have a little cry for half an hour, then I'll carry on. <laughs> I think that that's a perfect answer. And I think you have very good self-awareness. I, I, I just recently was thinking about that too, how I'm seeing the people that post the, like the Jocko Willings and it's like 4.44 AM, you know, Mark Evans with the wakey wakey. And then I'll see like another guy, like I'm the 10 AM club waking up early is bullshit. Don't but it's a hundred percent. Like you said, find out how you fire off best, what works best for you. And I don't like getting out of bed at 5 AM, but I do like having that two or three hours when everybody else is getting up knowing that I've already knocked out a big part of my day feels great, you know? So hundred percent. The last job that I was sort of working in, I was, I was running this, this um, live event training business and the guy I was working with was a very, very good friend of mine. We were sort of business partners on this. I was, I was like a shareholder in the company, a guy called James Sinclair. He's done that. He's 34 years old, done hundred million quid in sales across his career, employs 450 people, does 12 million, 30 million pounds of, of turnover on a, on an annual basis. And me and him used to butt heads all the time about the 5M club. He's like, you just don't need to do it. He's like, sleep is more important. I was like, that's cool. But he's very respectful. He's like, I, lo I love your tenacity. I love your, because when I went to work with him, you know, they all like eat like, shitty donuts and stuff in the office and biscuits. I'm like, right, we're getting rid of that. We're eating salads for lunch. We're getting up early. We're going to do walking meetings. And, and it's, it's really interesting. Like if I tried to get that guy out of bed at 5M, he would not be the success that he is now. Equally, I couldn't just wake up naturally at nine, 10 o'clock because I'd feel anxious like I've already missed half the day. So to your point, exactly right. Work out what works for you and then stick with it. You know, there is no right or wrong. 5am is great for some people. 3am, you know, Eric Thomas, isn't he getting up at 3am and eating out of trash cans or whatever he's talking about these days? <laughs> um, you know, whatever, find what works for you and crack on with it. Yeah, no, I agree, man. It's crazy. The days that I wake up at like 8, 8.30, immediately my stomach, I go, oh God, like just, and I feel like the, I, I can't catch up, man. So I get it too. Yeah. Man. I know you uh, You mentioned your read. So the next question in this is, what's your favorite book? Uh, my favorite book. Glad you asked. Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Classic. Absolute nice. classic. And every time I, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say. You see it's got like yellowy pages there at the sides. Every time I read that book, I read a different book. And it's reflective of where my mind is at. So the book, the, obviously the words never change, but my my perception of the words change every single time. So yeah, think and grow rich. But I tell you what, the, the best book is the book that's going to make you do something because, you know, whilst you can read fiction books for entertainment or whatever, if you're looking to read something to make you take some form of action, then the best advice is take some form of action. Um, Jay Shetty's book, 
and think like a monk. I was supposed to have him on the podcast recently and he ditched me last minute because he'd <laughs> been on like Ed Milet and Tony Bloody Robbins. And I was like, I was speaking to his publishers. They're like, yeah, he's on for next week. I'm like, are you sure that Jay Shet is on for next week? They're like, yeah, yeah, 6 p.m. We're all good. And then the day before they're like, yeah, Jay's really busy. I was like, no <laughs> shit. Okay. Uh, but his book is amazingly tactical. I thought it was going to be very like airy fairy. I didn't know if I was going to like really get on board with it. It's fantastic, brilliant book. So, think you'll grow rich. Jay Shetty's new book, Think Like a Monk, is fantastic. And there's an, an, a book by a guy called Felix Dennis called How to Get Rich, and he literally talks about how you've got to be obsessed with getting rich and what that means. It's just a brilliant, brilliant book. Brilliant, awesome. Nice. Yeah, I'll check out those last two also. Um, last two questions. One of them is knowing what you know now in life. If you had a time machine. And a young James Burke came up to you and asked you for advice starting out. What advice would you give a younger you today? Uh, I, I, oh, I'm really begrudged. To, oh, I, don't, oh, I don't know. Because the thing is, like, I've got this like whole um, uh, the butterfly effect theory. That if I give myself advice, then I change. Because I always think to myself, I always think instantly, my reaction is just relax a bit, dude. Because everything that I've done, I've always done it mega serious. You know, when I was a, I was a holiday rep, and as a holiday entertainer, I wanted to be like the best singer and dancer that I could be. I wanted the team to be the best that it could be. Uh, when I worked for broadcast PR, I wanted to be the best that we could be. Um, you know, and, and again, I just sort of took it all seriously. I'm like, am I enjoy enjoying the journey here? But again, I, I don't know if I would, um, yeah, if, if I give myself advice and do I change the outcome, I'm not entirely sure. I guess the thing, you know, I lost my dad 10 years ago. I was relatively young. I was 26 years old. Um, and I remember him saying to me at the time, he's like, you'll miss me when I'm gone. You wish you listened when I was gone. And he used to say things to me like, you've got two ears and one mouth. Use it in that ratio. And I used to be like, oh, shut up, old man. What do you know about life? But actually, that wisdom, I, I wish now, if, if anything, I would just be, I'd probably say to younger James, like, phone your dad. Sit with your dad. Turn your phone off and listen to your dad when he's talking, because he's not always going to be here. And actually, the stuff that he's telling you, although he's an, he's an arsehole sometimes, he really knows his stuff. Well, I'm very sorry for your loss, and uh, that's very timely for me right now to hear as well. I agree. Definitely phone your loved ones while they're still here, and congrats on the new baby and all the success you get or having for sure. Um, and you, so my last thing here for you is just plug away, man. Talk, talk about what you got going on. How do people work with you? How do people find you? What's, uh, what's present in the future for you? Yeah, so I'm just about to launch the online, the ultimate podcast training as a membership site. Because, again, I, I realize that, you know, 1,500 quid isn't feasible for a lot of people. Even 150 quid isn't feasible for people for a, for a day of training. So I've created a membership site. So it's going to be 60 pounds a month uh, and you can dip in and dip out of it as you sort of need it. So if you wanted to, for 60 quid, you could get in, get all the training, get all the videos, rinse all the PDF downloads, get out within 60 quid and you can launch a podcast. Happy days. Um, so that's coming up. The Ultimate Podcast Group as an agency, we work with international clients um, already so we work with people all around the world if you want to do a podcast but you haven't got the time or the inclination to do it yourself reach out to us ultimatepodcastgroup.com or just come and find me james burt with two t's so it's b-u-r-t-t -T. i'm on insta facebook linkedin and just uh yeah let me know what your number one takeaway from today's show was and uh yeah nick nick is a product of of my coaching because he you know he connected on on instagram he came on board and did the the training in fact i don't think you could even make it could you so i think i just sent oh. it you as like videos didn't i yes yeah um, yeah but yeah, thank you for having me on. I've really, I, I love, I love doing podcasts, but I also love people who are passionate about podcasts because not all podcasters are, they kind of like tick a box, but you're obviously really uh, inquisitive and intrigued by it. All. And I love, I'm the same as you. I love talking to passionate people regardless of what they're passionate about. So thank you very much for having me on, man. I appreciate it.
Definitely, man. Thank you for being so cool and responsive about it. And I mean, literally, you just summed up exactly what the ideal guest and, and why I think I get along with you so well is because you were like, everything I did, I wanted to just do seriously and go after it. And that's that's kind of how this whole thing came about was yeah, yeah. always just, okay, it's not to be cheesy, but bring your A game to everything you do. And that's what's going to translate into you being successful. Like, you know, the people, 100%. I don't know anybody that excels at something and they go, you know what? I really, I slacked and just did the bare minimum of everything else in life. I took the shortcuts, but then I just made a million dollars here. It's that you have to have that passion. You have to have that, that dedication. And obviously you do, man. So congratulations on everything. Thank you for being on here. Thank you for the help of my podcast. And uh, definitely highly recommended. Uh, any final thoughts before I let you go? No, just just if you've uh, no, I say no, but then I say yes. So ironically, <laughs> clip this out. Yes, I would say if you've taken any value from this, take some form of action now, because ideas are are disposable. You know, you might think, oh yeah, that's great what we talked about with LinkedIn. It's great what we talked about with this podcast. It's great with like the data. I'll do that next week. You won't. If you don't do it in the next twenty four hours, you will not do it. So if there's something that you've taken, if there's some form of value action it within the next 24 hours because otherwise you lose it as a, a qualified performance coach uh, you know for every i think it's like 19 tomorrow you will only retain 90 percent information within a week you know you retain 15 percent of it or something stupid like that but information that you action you retain 90 percent of the knowledge so whatever the key takeaway was if there's something that's useful for your brand or your business go and you know deploy it now like literally right now i'm serious like now i love it man wise words true words Thank you very much, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. I will post all your links and show notes and everything on there when this gets released. You've been an absolute stud, man. Thank you. Have a great day. Cheers, Nick. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it.